actually nourishing our body. So some of those processed foods, they may seem cheap, but we're malnourished. We're not getting the nutrient dense items that our body needs in order to be well. And when we make that real food shift, we're actually going to find that we're less hungry, we're less munchy and crunchy because we are not snacking and eating junk food. Welcome to the Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You are about to hear from Mira Desi. In our interview today, you're going to hear how ingredients can be a hidden source of inflammation, and we'll dive into how you can avoid manufacturer manipulation at the grocery store by learning to read labels. We're going to talk about carrageenan, MSG, food colorings, and even discuss what enriched means when you see it on a label. This interview is going to be a lot of fun, so let's get rolling. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Longevity Blueprint Podcast. Today I have on Mira Desi. She's known as the ingredient guru, a nutrition educator, author, and real food advocate. Her mission is to help people understand that it's not just what you eat, but it's what's in what you eat that contributes to optimal health. Desi is a member of the National Association of Nutrition Professionals, the Society for Nutrition Education and Behavior, the American Association of Drugless Practitioners, a member of the board of directors of the American Holistic Health Association, and a member of the Professional Advisory Board for the Turner Syndrome Society of the United States. So welcome, Mira. Thank you for having me on. Well, tell us your story. How did you get so interested and passionate about ingredients and how did you become the ingredient guru? Ooh, <laughs> well, there's a story. Uh, so first of all, I'd like to start by saying I did not become the ingredient guru overnight. Like it is definitely a journey. Uh, I actually years ago used to be in a totally different field. I was a database administrator for an international research firm. Mm. And uh, yeah, totally different field technology. And but I got really sick like really desperately ill. I was spending most of my life on the sofa. I could not take care of my kids. I couldn't even walk up a flight of stairs without having to lie down on the floor and sort of recover. And if I was going to bed, then I would sort of crawl my way to bed. It was, it was really wow. bad. Yeah. And I had a wide range of doctors, endocrinologists, rheumatologists, cardiologists. Like my joke was if there was an ist, I had it. Um, and, a, and a whole bunch of medications. And and it was really challenging because in spite of getting all of these medications and in spite of, I believe, my doctor's, you know, sincere efforts to want me to get better, one, nobody was talking to each other, which I discovered is critical, and B, nobody was talking to me about my food. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> like, food is so important, and we tend to forget that part. Even my gastroenterologist didn't really talk to me about my food, and you'd think he would have been the one who would have had the most to say about that. Right. And so through a series of circumstances, I wound up going through uh, this thing called a medical concierge practice where I was able to see a lot of different doctors all at the same time in a short period of time. They all talked to each other. But the most important thing about that was they made me realize that I needed to have more skin in the game. Like mm -hmm. I needed to be the one to step up and say, if this is not working, I have to figure out why. And then right around the same time, a friend of mine gave me a book about food dye and my little brain went, what? 
And that sort of began this path of cleaning up my diet. And the more I did that, the healthier I got, the more people around me noticed. And then, you know, people began to ask me questions. And eventually I got to a point where I was like, okay, I think I have to go back to school. Like I've taught myself everything I can. So I went back to school and learned how to really dive into nutrition education and how the biochemistry of our body works and why food is so important and all of that. And then just discovered that my nerdly fascination with food for myself turned into a a mission-driven passion for everybody else because there's so much stupid stuff they do to our food. It's crazy. That's what I do. I help people. So beyond just what we eat, I know you have really um, learned to dive into label reading. So I want to hear more about negative ingredients on our food and if those are found on labels or if those are not found on the labels. Oh, that's such a great question. You know, part of the challenge is most people don't realize that a lot of the control for how we can take back our pantry, our food source, is actually already on the package for those things that are packaged and in just a second we'll talk about those things that are not packaged but um you know we don't pay attention to it however because frequently if most people look at the food label at all they're maybe looking at how many calories it has and that's actually a myth because there's things we need to know about that they may be looking at fat or sugar or salt depending on what they're focusing on sure and they're totally skipping the ingredient panel and the ingredient panel is really where we find out what's in what we're eating and a lot of it i would say the vast majority of it is actually on the food label the challenge is food manufacturers are allowed to fudge and so there are certain things, especially right now. Interesting. Um, just like the wine industry, just like the personal care industry. Yeah, it's not fair. It's not right. <laughs> I know. And so what happens is they either use misleading terms or they hide things under like my absolute favorite, not favorite term is natural. Um, and so they hide things under that. And we think it sounds benign and it sounds okay, but it's not. And then the other thing that happens is sometimes they will include things that are, they will include things in the food that are not on the label. For example, some ice cream manufacturers use this particular product that I'm going to tell you about in just a moment, and some don't, and some put it on the label and some don't. And so you have no way of knowing if it's not on the label because it's not in there, or if it's not on the label because it falls under a particular class that does not have to be identified. What ingredient are we talking about? Propylene glycol. Ooh, in ice cream? In ice cream, yeah. So propylene glycol is essentially a form of antifreeze. It keeps the yeah. ice cream from getting crystallized and hard. I guess the, that makes sense. Not that that's right, but okay, I, I get it. <laughs> yeah, so here's, here's the thing. It does not have to be on the label if it's part of the manufacturing process. And technically, it's not considered part of the food, but it touches the food. Mm -hmm. you know, that's like one of the other things that drives me crazy is there's a preservative called BHA, butylated hydroxyanisole. And a lot of cereal manufacturers have discovered that people may be paying a little bit more attention to the label. And so now what they do is below the ingredient panel is a little line that says BHA added to packaging to preserve Ooh. freshness. And so here's the thing, they're trying to separate it from the food label because they're saying, oh, it's just part of the packaging. But again, it's 
touching the food. And, and what are the dangers of those? So those two chemicals you just mentioned, well, what's wrong with those? Well, so for example, propylene glycol there, first of all, there are a lot of people who can have allergies to it. Um, it, it does cause sensitivity. And then there are other people who, who, and some of those allergies, by the way, can be things like rashes or itchiness or that kind of thing. Some of the other things with propylene glycol, there are people who are very sensitive to it and it can like reduce immune function a little bit. Um, you know, just because of how their body is processing it, our body has to work harder to shove those things out of our system. And so that can sort of slow down what's happening and how our, how efficiently our body is able to process things. Sure. And then when it comes to a lot of preservatives and there's a whole host of them, so not just BHA, but BHT, TBHQ, EDTA, like all those other, anytime you see something that's just a whole bunch of capital letters, that, <laughs> that usually means it's a long, unpronounceable chemical name, and they've shortened it to be this little acronym. And so a lot of those, again, there can be allergenic effects. There can be, you know, reduced system processing, that sort of thing. And, you know, one of the other things that happens with those is that although they're generally recognized as safe, that's actually this huge misnomer because generally recognized as safe means that if you have so many parts per million, it's not bad for you. It may not be great, but it's not bad. The problem is who's keeping track of how much you're eating. Right. You know, and so you can be getting a lot without realizing it because it's in so many different things. So, you know, you have it in this one product and then you have it in another product and then you have it in something else and or you serve yourself multiple servings of something. And so you wind up getting far more exposure than you think you do. Sure. Scary. Again, not fair. But, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have been always taught and I have always then passed it on to my patients that they should be shopping around the perimeter of the grocery store because that's where the real food is, right? Most of the processed food is in the middle. Uh, would you agree with that statement? I love that you say that. So I would say sometimes, and this is where we get to the unpackaged food. Okay. Because things like apples and vegetables and meats, don't, those don't have packaging labels on them for the most part. I mean, there's a little bit of a label, but not, not much. Right. And so there's a couple different things to be aware of when it comes to the perimeter of the grocery store. Uh, one is that when it comes to produce, you know, I'm sure that you're talking to your clients about the dirty dozen uh -huh. and why it's important to make those organic choices. Uh, when it comes to that section of the grocery store, particularly the produce section, there's this lovely little thing called grocery creep. And grocery creep is where food producers and grocery store, um, you know, uh, businesses have discovered that consumers are shopping the perimeter. And so they need to get more stuff into that section. And it used to be you would walk in, depending on if you walked in left or right, however your grocery store was set up, and there's the produce section right there. And all you saw was the green grocer section. Well, now you walk in, and for example, here in Texas, it's strawberry season right sure, now. Sure. And so we are seeing a tiny refrigerated case that has cans of whipped cream. And we are also seeing little yellow 
sponge cake thing. <laughs> truthfully, are like sponges, like they're not cake. Um, but it's right next to the strawberries. And the reason it's there is they want to convince you that they're making it more convenient. Sure. But they're not. They're simply trying to sell more. Thanksgiving time, stuffing appears next to the cranberries. Right. All of a sudden, more grocery stores now have highly processed juices and smoothies in that section of the store instead of in the back where it used to be. And they also have salad dressings up there instead of in the middle where they used to be. And so they, all these things creep in. Same thing happens in the meat section. You know, now all of a sudden you're seeing barbecues and rubs and, you know, all different kinds of things because they're simply trying to monetize. And, and here's the thing. I don't blame them for doing it. They are a business. The challenge is they do it in such a way that people don't realize how much they're being tempted to look at that and to all of a sudden impulse buy because like oh it's right there so okay you know what yeah we'll have strawberry shortcake for dessert tonight that sounds great you know and so learning what's what's happening in that section makes it easier for you to go mm, no you you pique my interest on when you're saying you know like an apple isn't going to necessarily there aren't really many ingredients on the apple um, but what can we tell from the label that is on the apple? Can we tell if the food's genetically modified? Can we tell anything from yes. that? Yes. Great, great question. So there are a couple of things that we can tell by the label uh, being that little round circular thing. Sticker, the sticker. The sticker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Off. <laughs> yes. And every time you do it, rips off a little bit of skin with it. Um, so there's a code on that, a, a product code. And if it is a four digit number, then typically it's conventionally raised, which means it can be sprayed with all kinds of pesticides and that sort of thing. If it's a five digit number, you wanna pay attention to whether it starts with an eight or a nine. And I will tell you in all the years that I've been looking at the grocery store, I have only ever once seen an eight, which made me so happy. An eight means it's genetically modified. Okay. So it made me happy that somebody was doing it, but unfortunately, they're not required by federal law to reveal if it's genetically modified or not. So they don't have to use the eight, which is why the vast majority of the time they don't. They just use the four numbers that would have come after the eight. The nine means that it was organically grown. So we want to look for nines. We want to look for nines. Especially for the dirty the dirty dozen things. You know, and like yeah. last year, Kale made it onto the dirty dozen list for the first time ever. That was horrifying to everybody who's like, I'm a kale chip addict. <laughs> I love kale in my smoothie. You know, all these people were eating so much kale. And then all of a sudden it just became. And, and here's the thing. The dirty dozen is not necessarily genetically modified. It's just that it has this enormously high pesticide load. And and that creates a toxic burden for our bodies. So for the listeners who aren't familiar with the Dirty Dozen, basically those are the foods that are dirty, right? So the top 12 or maybe more foods <laughs> that we do need to be conscious of purchasing organic because of the additional burden on our body, right? There are thicker skin foods like on the Clean 15, like an orange per se has a thick skin. We don't need to necessarily invest in purchasing organic oranges. You can choose to if you'd like, but you really want to focus more on the thin skin foods that herbicides and pesticides can penetrate into. And it sounds like kale is now on that list that we need to purchase organic or grow yeah. our own right in our backyard. Well, and so one really great thing is the environmental working group is the one who does that assessment every year and yep. it takes them 
approximately two months to go through the because they don't get the numbers till January and then they have to pour over the numbers to figure out what are the 12 worst ones sure and so the new list is usually released sometime in March this year I think it was beginning of April um, so there's an app that you can get on your phone available for both Android and iPhone that just updates the list for you when the new list comes out. Cause every year, the, I mean, apples are pretty much guaranteed to be on it every year. Um, so, you know, every year when the list is updated, it's updated on your phone. And that actually brings up a really important point too. Cause as a savvy shopper, you also want to think about what are the other associated products that go with that dirty dozen item. So if apples are on the list and invariably they are, Buying organic apples is great, but what about your apple juice? What about your apple sauce? What about something that has apples tip. Like a granola? You know, you want to make sure that you're looking all the way down the food chain. Same thing for grapes. Grapes are sometimes on that list. So what does that mean? Hello, wine. Um, you know, yeah. or grape juice or whatever. But you really you want to think your way through what that food becomes. That's great. Great tip. I want to digress back to kale chips because I do want to share with the audience a few quick, easy recipes. I'm obsessed with kale chips. I will tell you that. <laughs> Typically what I do, I just basically chop the kale uh, down to not super small pieces, decent pieces. And I toss that in olive oil. I tried avocado oil last weekend and it didn't work as well, but I usually just do olive oil, sea salt, spread it out on a pan and either broil it or bake it. Do you, how do you make kale chips or what are your tips? So I make kale chips pretty much the same way, but right now I'm really loving massaged kale salad. Mm. And so that's where I frisee the kale, sort of cut it into very thin ribbons. And okay. then I, I sit there and I massage it with an oil, usually olive oil, because sure. um, that's my favorite. And then I add in a whole bunch of things like, you know, scallions and pumpkin seeds and things like that and, and just mix it all up and eat it that way. Wonderful. So if you're having a salt craving rather than opt for processed packaged chips with a list of nasty ingredients, you can easily make some kale chips. Really easy yeah. to, to make. You may have heard me mention the nutrient DIM on several episodes, and I want to take a moment to describe exactly what that is. When I was in graduate school, my doctorate focused on estrogen metabolism. Now, you're probably wondering what that even means and why it matters to your health. Well, research has shown that our risks for fibroids, cysts, and breast, ovarian, uterine, prostate, and colon cancer can all be linked back to estrogen, but it's not the levels of estrogens that can increase our risk. Instead, it's the way our bodies handle that estrogen that matters. We can run individual lab tests for this, which I often recommend to my patients. That's called estrogen metabolism testing, which has to be done in the urine. Even without the test, however, it is safe to take a supplement and extract of cruciferous vegetables to improve your estrogen metabolism. That's basically like taking in six pounds of those veggies per day in a capsule form without the gas. That supplement is called DIM, D-I-M. You can also use methylated B vitamins as well as specific targeted antioxidants like resveratrol to help improve your estrogen metabolism and help protect you from that cancer risk. Of course, also make sure you have your practitioner run a comprehensive genetic analysis to see from another perspective if you are at increased risk and help you learn what you can do to lower that. If you're interested in learning more about DIM, read chapter six of my book, Your Longevity Blueprint, and check out our product info sheet at yourlongevityblueprint.com forward slash product forward slash DIM. 
To get 10% off DIM alone or 15% off our estrogen detox bundle with DIM, methylated B vitamins, and antioxidant support, just use the code estrogen detox when checking out at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now, let's get back to the show. So let's go back to food labels. What are the most important things we need to watch for? You already mentioned the abbreviated, <laughs> the long words that are, or I should say terms that are abbreviated. What else do we need to watch out for? Well, one of my biggest things that I remind people is if there's a number on the label, that means it's a chemical formula. So, you know, blue dye number two, polyphorbate 80, those kinds of things. And and my joke is there's no such thing as a celery 14 or a pear 34. (laughs) Like they just don't exist. So we know that numbers don't belong in our food. So that's a very simple one to avoid. Um, And then the other thing, and this is generally in the middle of the store, so it's in that center section, avoiding the word enriched. (laughs) You Mm. know, enriched anything is bad for us. Essentially, what that term means is they took out a whole bunch of nutrients and then they put a couple of them back. And the ones that they put back are not natural versions. They are chemical analogs. The biggest example for that you know, when they have enriched bread, so they've taken out, I believe it's 22 nutrients, they've put four or five of them back. And the reason they put them back is because a a long time ago in the industrial age, when we learned how to mill grains and get nice, white, fluffy, soft bread, which we all love, you know, because it just lights up our little dopamine receptors, because it turns to sugar so quickly. um, They discovered a lot of people were getting sick. And so when they looked into it, they realized that it was because they were removing all the B vitamins. So they put back some of the B vitamins. They sometimes put back iron. They sometimes put back calcium. But there's still a whole bunch of nutrients that are stripped. So enriched anything is not. If the, and that generally, by the way, is the first word on the label. If something's enriched, it's the first word on the label. You just put it right back on the shelf. Very interesting. I have a feeling I, I don't really consume cereal. When I was pregnant, I kind of craved Cheerios, which was a while back. <laughs> but other than that, I, I don't really purchase cereals. But I feel like cereals start with enriched i mean do they say like enriched wheat flour or something like that am i okay i just haven't seen one a lot of them do and and here's the thing the the denser cereals things like um granolas or things like that generally aren't enriched they are whole grain okay and so for things like that what you have to watch out for is is how many grams of sugar there are And you also want to look at the ingredient label. One of the really sneaky things food producers do, they've recognized that consumers have gotten a little more savvy and they know that the first thing on the label is the most. Majority, yeah. And it goes down the label that way. And they don't want sugar to be number one. So what they do is they put in four or five, I've seen as many as seven kinds of sugar in a product in order to like hide it in that long list of ingredients. And so you got to look at the sugar grams and if it's like, you know, eight grams of sugar per serving and a serving is, I don't know, a quarter of a cup. And you're like, where's all that sugar coming from? And then you read it and you're like, oh, because it's got, you know, barley malt and maltodextrin and honey and a little maple syrup and a little rice bran syrup. And, you know, all of a sudden you're adding all these different sugars. So you're saying 
I want to make sure I'm following the audience is following the label may not say sugar you're saying, but there may be six sources of sugar within that product. Interesting yes. that we need yes. to be looking at. Yes. Very interesting. Okay. Now I will also say, cause at this point, somebody out there listening is going, I can't read all those labels every time I go to the grocery store because it's, it's very overwhelming. And so I'd like to remind you, I did not become the ingredient guru overnight. It literally was a process of years. So what I encourage people to do is pick one thing that's important to you. So if it's about buying dirty dozen and thinking all the way through that product change, start with that. If it's about getting rid of numbers, if it's about getting rid of artificial ingredients, you know, anything artificial in the label, whatever, start there and just sort of master that. Learn how to shift what you're already buying at the grocery store. And once you've got that under control, then move on to something else. Don't try Good and do advice. it all at once. Yeah, because it'll take you five hours at the grocery store and your family, especially if you've got kids with you, will hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back to the enriched um, concept again. And maybe, I don't know if you agree with me here, but I feel like a lot of foods say enriched with, like you mentioned, the B vitamins. So like folic acid. And for my patient population, some of them, well, many of them have MTHFR variants. And for some patients, that's significant. For others, it's really not that significant based on how many, you know, genetic variants they have. But for patients, if they're struggling with infertility or they've had miscarriages, like they, they've had complications that could result, be a result of having these genetic variants, they need to be avoiding folic acid. They need to be taking the active folate the natural form of B9, which would come from kale, which we were just discussing, rather than, you know, consuming a synthetic man-made vitamin, which a lot of these foods are then enriched with. Would, right. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And, you know, part of the problem, like I said, anytime you see enriched anything, it's because they're taking a chemical version and using that. So one of the things, and I'm going to make myself a note here so that I can send you this video. There is a very, horrifying rather strong, but it might be, I don't know, <laughs> really, really icky video of a store-bought cereal that is enriched with iron. And essentially it's real iron because they take a magnet and show you all the iron collecting out of once they've wow. it down. Yeah. So wow. I'll send you that video so you can share it with your people. Part of the problem is it doesn't have to be bioavailable. It just has to be what they say it is. Yikes. What are other harmful ingredients in our food that we need to know about, watch for, scrutinize labels for? Well, so one of the things that, like I said, artificial anything, I am totally against artificial flavors, artificial colors, artificial, you know, sweeteners, none of those are good for us. Some of the other things that I really strongly encourage people to watch out for uh -huh. are, um, you know, these, these ingredients that really overstimulate our brain msg being yes. one of the biggest ones and part of the problem with msg is it comes under so many different names it can be really hard so you know the best way obviously anything says glutamate is is presumably going to impact you know our receptors so but, it's very excitatory for the listeners meaning that can cause yes. anxiety can cause insomnia can cause add right can cause this hyperstimulation. i'm yes. very sensitive to msg i cannot touch it i can't have a bite of anything with it or i get palpitations and, and fast heart rate so it's and then people who, people who are migranors it can also really because of what it does to the neurotransmitters sure. it can really bloom a migraine and it doesn't take much so how so, can that be hidden what if it doesn't literally say monosodium glutamate what what else would it say 
Well, and so that's one of my, you know, and, and here's the thing, like I am admittedly a bit of a nerd about the label. My family won't even go to the grocery store with me anymore because I just take time to look at things I'm not even going to buy. I just want to see what <laughs> um, so, so when I say my favorite thing, I mean, just because it's like, aha, they're doing this. Like I get excited about those things because then I can share and educate right. people. Not like I'm happy about it. One of my favorite things is when you see a, a label that says no added monosodium glutamate or no added MSG. And then you flip it over and on the back, it says something like autolyzed yeast. Autolyzed and hydrolyzed are two words that are essentially, you know, synonyms for glutamate. If you can knock out glutamate, autolyzed and hydrolyzed from your diet on the food label, you will get rid of an enormous amount of yeast uh, uh, sorry, MSG in in your food. Now, the problem is, you know, there are others as well, but those are three of the biggest to watch out for. Wonderful. So as I, I'm gluten-free, I've been gluten-free, I lost track of the years, I don't know, five or six years now, <laughs> but I was learning to read labels then, right, when I, when I transitioned gluten-free. And so I started noticing things like caramel coloring <laughs> on, on labels, right, which could contain gluten. So you alluded to numbers, uh, like food dyes, they're like, you know, Red Lake number 40 or whatever. <laughs> um, but what about other colorings like caramel coloring what does that mean what is in there yeah. <laughs> and so, should that so be avoided <laughs> caramel coloring should be avoided it is a chemical process it's actually been shown to be um believed to be carcinogenic so not a great choice uh it tends to be the color that's used in things like sodas and stuff as well but it is right. used in some baked goods it's what gives them that brown look sure. that is so attractive to us other colors to watch out for are annatto which is found in things like yellow cheeses and stuff. And here's the thing, yeah. not always one of those ingredients, it comes from a tree, it comes from yeah. a plant. There is a, a fairly good sized percentage of the population that actually tends to be sensitive to it. And so the only way to find out if you're sensitive to it is to remove it from your diet for 30 days and then to have something with it and see if you notice any changes. Um, some people, I've, I've had people tell me that they've noticed, you know, maybe they get like a little rash on their neck. Um, I had one woman who told me that she noticed that she started sweating a little bit after she ate it, which she had not realized was something she was doing before. Of course, we also live in Texas, so sweat is a normal thing, but um, she just noticed it was more after that. So annatto can be something. Some people also notice more typical allergy symptoms where maybe their nose runs or they get a little cough in their throat or whatever. So that's one. The other one to watch out for that is, um, you know, and again, some people are sensitive to this. Um, for those who are vegetarians or vegans or who keep kosher, uh, this one's kind of icky. It's called coconil or carmine, and it's made from crushed beetles. And it's a red color. Um, as a matter of fact, there's a really funny story. So... Starbucks has those strawberry frappuccino drink things and uh, they were using a vegetable base to make it pink and at one point they switched to coconut because it's cheaper believe it or not and this being the age of the internet somebody found out and they twigged and the internet went crazy and people complained so much that Starbucks went back to using a vegetable source to color instead it of beetles one of the other things to watch out for, not a color, but um, shellac. Shellac comes from the lac bug and is used on candy. 
So anytime you see something that says food grade shellac, it's from a bug. Is that the same for nails? No. But okay, okay, no. different, okay. Different, different shellac. Different toxins, yeah, different toxins. But, um, so yeah, so, and, and here's the thing. I have not been able to find, except for somebody who might actually be allergic to the bug itself, I have not been able to find necessarily harmful impact from consuming confectioner's glaze or food grade uh, lacquer. But uh, a lot of people are pretty grossed out when they find out it's from a bug. Interesting. Um, what about, I can never say this, carrageenan? Carrageenan. Yeah. What, what is that and is that dangerous? I find where I see that the most in, at least in my life, would be an alternative milk, like a flax milk, coconut milk, something like that. So believe it or not, carrageenan is actually in almost every aisle of the grocery store. It can be found in lunch meat. It can be found in processed foods, frozen goods. It's, it's ubiquitous at the grocery store. It is a seaweed, which we have learned is, you know, seaweeds are good for us, except for carrageenan. It's a, it's a red seaweed. It can cause ulcerative colitis-like symptoms in a lot of people. In a laboratory study, it has been shown to cause renal bumps, renal being the kidneys. And so it's really not great. A lot of people who are sensitive to carrageenan and don't realize it can sometimes just have maybe mild bloating or their stomach feels a little off. They don't get that ulcerative colitis, like, you know, inflammation, diarrhea, constipation cycle. I do find that the vast majority of people who remove carrageenan from their diet discover within like seven days, how much better their gut feels. Very interesting. Shoot. I, I was on the fence with that. I, w I didn't know a lot about it. I had heard bad things, but I'm happy that you just <laughs> clarified that for me. So, well, and, and, you know, one of the things that I will share is there, believe it or not, because carrageenan is being shown to be so harmful to us, you can now actually see, especially in the alternative dairy aisle, there are certain producers that are starting to put no carrageenan on the front of the label. I was just going to ask you for that. Like what brands? I'm sure listeners are, are thinking, okay, so if I do want to have flax milk or whatnot, are there brands? I'm fine with you disclosing anything. <laughs> and so when, I love that you're asking me that. And what I will tell you is it's gotten to the point where I can't keep all the names in my head head anymore sure, and, sure. and what I tell people is I am completely brand disloyal because there are companies who will make a whole range of products and some of their products are good and some of their products are maybe not so great sure, uh, sure. so so what I really encourage people to do is figure out what works for you and read the label sure I feel like for listeners, this can be very overwhelming because many times having, I'm having my patients go gluten, dairy, egg, sugar-free, right? We're getting them on a hypoallergenic diet, but yet they also need to remove other toxic layers like the chemicals, the, the, the glyphosate, the herbicides, pesticides that can be on their food. So they need to purchase organic and you need to look at the ingredients on the yeah. foods as well because you could get an organic gluten-free cracker, but what's all in there? right? What other ingredients are in that cracker? So generally speaking, it's better to just eat real food. <laughs> but there are times where, where we want to have, you know, crackers and hummus or chips and hummus. Well, and so one thing I will share, there's a really great book that I recommend to my clients when they're first learning how to get into a real food diet. And we have to make some adjustments because like you, I recommend that people at least start by going gluten-free, dairy-free, 
you know, sugar, because those are things that we can then begin to build from there and see if it's something that they can handle. But there's this great book called Make the Bread by the Butter. And so it talks about things that you can make at home that are, you're able to make them cleaner and more easily. And so you got to take it with a grain of salt because, you know, obviously we're not encouraging our people to make bread with flour. Right. Um, but but there are lots of other things in there where it's like you can make these very easily, very simply. You don't have to buy everything. Yep. And I, I have to say, I am seeing, especially right now, more and more people willing to invest in their real food kitchens by because they're having, you know, I just talked to someone a couple of days ago who was like, I'm having to learn how to cook to be my family. Like they're, they're actually liking this because they're getting, you know, better food and it's tasty and it's also more nourishing for us. You know, that's one of the things we have to remember is, especially as we shift away from a highly processed diet and more towards a real food diet, we're actually nourishing our body. So some of those processed foods, they may seem cheap, but they we're malnourished. We're not getting the nutrient-dense items that our body needs in order to be well. And when we make that real food shift, we're actually going to find that we're less hungry, we're less munchy and crunchy because we're not snacking and you know eating junk food. Totally agree. Totally agree. We already discussed a little bit about the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15, but I want to go back to that for a moment just for listeners. So as far as purchasing organic, are there a top few of those foods on that list that you could mention to the listeners that they really do need to to consider buying organic? So I will share, and this is where it comes down to making budgetary decisions. Like I, I always advocate the dirty dozen just because of the pesticide load. Yep. And then when it comes to organic, I encourage people, you know, as they can afford to do it. Um, I, I'm a big believer in organic or at least pasture raised animal products. Agreed. Because yep. those are not only going to not have all of the, the pesticide load, and feed and everything else, they're not going to be given all the hormones, all the antibiotics. You know, part of the challenge is over 70% of the antibiotics sold in this country are not actually given to humans. They're used in the animal husbandry industry um, because when they keep all these animals in very close confines, they get sick faster. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, giving them antibiotics makes them get fat faster and it's weight, not health of the animal that leads to profitability sure for certain farmers so if you can get pasture raised beef or chicken or pork or whatever that's going to be much better for you um and then the other thing that i encourage people to watch out for and and the challenge with this is you know the three most highly genetically modified crops on the face of the planet are corn soy and canola And you can buy organic versions of those, but I have also seen increasing documentation that indicates that it's not as 
clean as we would like it to be just because you know seed and wind and pollen all sort of blow around and mix up and so you know at this point i've heard that there truly is and i don't know if this is true or not i'm just saying this is what industry sources indicate there truly is no such thing as organic canola anywhere anymore in the yeah. States at this point i've heard that too and and i think potato is like the fourth or fifth food i think potatoes up there too for the top Potatoes are, potatoes are climbing, yeah. Climbing, yep, and, yep. and the thing is, you know, there's a lot of experiments because like now they're experimenting with things like genetically modified zucchini. There is a genetically modified apple on the market. And actually, it really annoys me because it's, it's an apple that does not bruise and will not turn brown when you cut it. And my response is, do we really need our apples to be that pretty? And whatever happened to lemon juice? Right, right. <laughs> so, so I don't uh, get that. And then, of course, there's genetically modified fish, which I'm hugely opposed to. Agreed. I actually just pulled up the Dirty Dozen 2020 list. So I'm going to read those foods. So these are the dirty foods that you really want to purchase organic. So pot potatoes, which we just talked about, strawberries, spinach, and kale, nectarines, apples, right? Thin skins there, grapes, peaches, cherries, pears, tomatoes, celery, and I think that's it. Those are the those are the top foods to really, especially the summer, think about purchasing organic for sure. Or wash them very, very well, but you still, you can't wash off what's you penetrated into the food. Yeah. yeah, and so one of the things I really do encourage people to do if they can is to get to know their farmer's market, their local farmer's market, because those small farmers are not using the same kinds of chemicals or pesticides or whatever. And if you talk to them, they'll tell you, like I once was talking to a blueberry farmer and he's like, well, I only use Roundup once a year at the beginning of the season. And I was like, okay, that's not for me. So um, you use it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but the thing is he, you know, he was he was telling me about it, like this is what I do. And you know, the problem is Roundup is glyphosate is systemic. Once it gets into the soil, it gets taken up into the plant. It's a chelator, all that kind of stuff. But it's bad news. Oh, no, yeah, no, it's definitely bad news. But one of the things that I was going to say is a lot of these smaller, more sustainable farms, they cannot afford what it takes to get certified as organic. First of all, they have to grow organically for three years. Mm -hmm. They have to pay tens of thousands of dollars to the federal government for documentation. And then they have to pay an enormous amount of money every year to be tested and recertified. And for them, it's an inordinate burden. Sure. They don't have the volume that it would take to be able to do that so those are what i call my sustainable or sometimes regenerative farmers sure. and those are going to be your local guys get to know them like talk they, to them ask them questions yeah, yeah. absolutely because they love their customers they love getting to know their people and being connected and making real food for them that's that's what they want to be doing absolutely uh, i interesting i'll go off on a short tangent here so i can test my patients levels of glyphosate and we can look for herbicides and pesticides things like 2,4-D I, I never it's just mm -hmm. called 2,4-D I had a patient yesterday who he has been spraying this for years interestingly his glyphosate level did not come back elevated it was slightly elevated but not as high as I thought it would be his 2,4-D was through the roof high I mean 
through the roof high. So I love having farmers for patients. They're funny and they're, <laughs> they're usually <laughs> pretty committed. They're self-employed also, right? <laughs> Good yeah. patients to have. Uh, but it's very enlightening to them that, wow, I may need to change my practices, right? Because it actually could be impacting my health. I have toxic high levels of these chemicals within my body. The good news is we can work to get them out and we can make make the, the swap. Uh, or we can, either they can choose to have someone else spray the, their crops or they can choose to not spray their crops at all <laughs> and make that transition. So okay. if you're listening and you're wanting to know if you have high levels of some of these herbicides and pesticides, uh, we can test. We actually can test. Um, most functional medicine practitioners can. Yeah. We'll, we'll wrap up with just a few questions here. So what's the biggest mistake people make walking into the grocery store? So I think the biggest mistake that people make is believing that everything that's inside those four walls is food, you know, and, and the object is to learn how to educate yourself about what is really nourishing food mm -hmm. for your body. Right. Artificial colors and enriched <laughs> um, uh, additives are not, they're not going to nourish your body. They're going to drag it down and cause more harm than good. Absolutely. That's great. Are there any other little tips you want to share that we didn't get to that we need to know? You know, I, I think, so first of all, I just want to go back and reiterate the, the three words you need to know, because this is the biggest thing that you can do to nourish yourself and your family is read the label. You know, those, those are most important. And then I, I also want to reiterate, start small. Everything that you're doing is something more than you were doing before. Don't yes. allow yourself to get overwhelmed by that, but just really take the time, focus on one thing at a time and move forward from there. Good advice. What's your top longevity tip? Absolute top longevity tip. Real food. <laughs> eat real food. Yeah. Eat like Michael food. Pollan said, eat food, most yes. of the plants. Yeah. Not too much. Yeah. Not enough. Yep, exactly. Well, I hear that you have a wonderful free gift for our listeners. Would you like to share what that is? I do. So, you know, we, we've talked a lot about all the ingredients and what's in our food and that sort of thing. We, because of time, didn't have a chance to go into actually what's on our food, what's touching our food. Um, we alluded to that with the cereal and the BHA, but I have a book called is plastic making you fat and anxious that talks about the impact of some of the packaging and how it can impact our health and what's going on. So I, I will send you a link for a page where they can download that book for free. That sounds amazing. I would like to dig into that. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. So thank you for coming on the show today and educating us on how to read a food label and teaching us what harmful ingredients we should be looking for and saying no to and just emphasizing that food is medicine and we need to be eating to nourish our health. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Well, that definitely was fun and so interesting. You can learn more about Mira at theingredientguru.com and guru is spelled G-U-R-U. Also check out her book, The Pantry Principle, available on Amazon and now available for purchase at my practice, The Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic. If you alert us that you listen to this episode, we'll give you 5% off her book at the clinic. After the show, Mira and I talked a bit about how I could be using a dehydrator for my son to make him real fruit snacks that don't have added grains or other fillers. This was such a good idea, and I look forward to starting that project soon. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online, where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, not only is the course 50% off, but you also get your first consult with me for free. 
check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I read all of the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, or how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. The podcast is produced by the team at Counterweight Creative. As always, thanks so much for listening and remember, wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.